1: Chevrolet Box Sports Las Vegas Studios and live at lbSportsNetwork.com with your hosts Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace.
2: Rolling right along here, hour number two of the VGK Insider Show. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman. The rest of the week, we will have full reaction from the Golden Knights' end of season media availability today. We will have more player audio. We will more. We will have more audio of Pete DeBoer, Kelly McCrimmon. Uh, It's going to really be what we have for you over the next couple of days in in trying to dissect the main points, the key points, coming out of uh, today's media availability, what the next steps are for the Vegas Golden Knights, what we view as kind of the most pressing topics to get to and address over the course of the offseason. We've got one-timers coming up a little bit later here in hour number two. We're also keeping our eye as best we can on The game's going on right now in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You've got the Washington Capitals up 1-0 on the Florida Panthers in the first period, and the New York Rangers up 1-0 on the Penguins at the end of the first period. Uh, A little bit of controversy in that game as Ricard Raquel uh, was hit up high, and there was a a five-minute major assessed, and that was reduced to a two-minute minor penalty for roughing. Uh, So uh, the Penguins, not really anything going their way to start that game. Igor Shostakhin looking dialed in early on. And the Rangers, the better team, through the first 20 minutes of that game. But right now we bring in... From the Las Vegas Review Journal, Ben Goats, As Ben was also in that end of season media availability today for the Vegas Golden Knights. Hey, Ben. I, you know, I told you that we'd probably have you on over the course of the off season. I just I didn't expect it to be within the first week. How you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing well. Yeah, I'm ready to stretch out those legs. There's a lot of sitting down today, listening to different people come in and out of the room and talk. But yeah, it's been a lot to absorb and. Take in, but I'm doing well. So
2: let's start here with this question, and it's an overarching uh, evaluation of today's events, the end of season media availability for the Golden Knights. What were your key takeaways?
1: Yeah, so some of the key things that I took away, one thing I thought was really interesting that a lot of guys brought up was kind of a re establishing an identity for this team that they felt they got away from this year, partially because of injuries, partially because of the other things. And specifically kind of the two words that seemed to come out a lot of different players' mouths without like a lot of coordination was fast and physical. And they didn't feel that they kind of quite had that uh, speed to get on you as fast as they've had in previous years. And they didn't feel that they were basically being physical enough. I mean, Alec Martinez has had the great quote about, you know, when, he was coming to T-Mobile Arena as a visiting player when he was still with the Los Angeles Kings. He was like, I knew like one of the first couple shifts, I'm going to get basically put into the second row with some guys' nachos. And they just didn't feel that they had that same kind of you know identity as a unit this season. So I thought that was really interesting. I thought, obviously, the way that certain guys obviously talked about injuries, danced around injuries, tried specifically not to bring up injuries, which then ultimately led them to bringing up injuries was interesting. You obviously knew that a lot of guys on this team didn't want to make an excuse about the fact that they missed the playoffs with 500-man games lost, but they also didn't want to let it go unmentioned that they had 500-man games lost, and it kind of crept into all areas of their game, both on the ice and off the ice, because they weren't able to build chemistry. They didn't have some key guys like Mark Stone, Max Pretz, Tretti, and Alec Martinez around all the time. And then obviously I think we're left with a lot of still lingering questions as well coming out of today about obviously one, the status of Pete DeBoer, who's supposed to meet with Kelly McCrimmon and George McFee later this week. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of injury questions because a lot of the updates we got on guys weren't necessarily definitive in terms of, you know, are they going to be healthy when next season rolls around? Mark Stone basically didn't rule out that he might need surgery at some point. This offseason, Robin Leonard uh, is going to have his surgery tomorrow, and we're not sure what his timeline will be. Uh, same with kind of Laurent Grossois. So that was kind of the third thing of like there's still obviously a lot of unanswered questions about where this team is going to be at health wise the next time it reconvenes for training camp as well.
2: You know, so i i wanna I wanna pause on the identity here for just a moment because the the idea that the Golden Knights should try to return to the identity that they had year one. I, I think that while that would be nostalgic for a lot of people, I, I don't know that that's the identity we're, we're looking for or even the guys in the room are looking for. I just think that the Golden Knights want to play to an identity next season. And there are reasons why that identity wasn't there or it was inconsistent this year. Injuries play a part of that for sure. But you know, I, I guess to me, if you're looking at this roster and if we're looking at it for next season without too much turnover, uh, if that's going to be at all possible given the salary cap, with the key or the core players on this team right now, what does the identity have to be for the Golden Knights next season, a clearly defined, this is how this team must play?
1: Yeah, I think the guy that probably put it best was Max Pacioretty when he talked about playing a four-line style of hockey, and he basically called it, like, we play playoff hockey from game one. We roll our lines. We roll our defense pairs. We use everyone, and that's how we wear teams down because we're constantly bringing out fresh guys no matter what, and he was basically, we had to get away from that this year because of the injuries, because we're plugging guys you know, in and out, and we're not always... And comfortable, We can load up some of the new guys right away with minutes or maybe because obviously at the end of the season, they're pushing for results, not just to get through games and you need to lean on those top guys a little bit more heavily. And when the golden Knights have gone on the deep playoff runs the last two years, I think that's been a very key part of what's made them so successful. I mean, especially you look at their series against Colorado it wasn't necessarily obviously the Knights had you know the equivalent of a, a McKinnon, or a Rantanen, but the Knights kind of guys at the bottom of the lineup, guys you want to you know call like 13 through 18 or whatever. I think were easily better than Colorado's in that series, and that's been a key part of this team's success for now, obviously uh, five years going on here. And so I thought it was really interesting that Pacheretti brought that up. I thought that was obviously notable that the team couldn't play. That way, a lot of this year, they had to rely on some of their key veterans probably more than they would have liked. They didn't have some of their key veterans, obviously, more than they would have liked. And that you know led them to get away from that kind of rolling everyone identity. And I think even we saw once the defense got its group back together outside of um, Ben Hutton in for Nick Hague, that looked a lot better for the Knights defensively. They weren't able to get to that same place offensively, By the end of the year, I think that really hurt them. But I think that's something that they have to at least try for next season. As you mentioned, the salary cap and the constraints there are certainly going to make it uh, tricky to kind of bring back that same identity where they're going to be able to have guys that they're excited about on the fourth line, maybe to the same degree that they were entering this year.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Ben, because that's actually what I was going to ask you. So this is a team that... Right now, they are over the cap, and that does not include the fact that you have Nick Wah, Keith Olisar, um, Brett Howden, Nick Hague, all restricted free agents. You have Riley Smith, who's an unrestricted free agent, and then you also have Matthias Janmark, who's an unrestricted free agent. So you have a lot of guys who you want to bring back and be able to roll the four lines with. The real question is, based on the cap situation, how the hell do you get there?
1: Yeah, it's going to be real interesting to watch this play out, right? Because we've seen this play out with this team the last couple off-seasons where a lot of the summer isn't just about who they're bringing in. It's about who they have to ship out. And obviously the Knights were able to kind of kick this can down the road where they didn't have to kind of feel the immediate pain of adding a Jack Eichel to their lineup earlier this season. But now kind of the bill is going to end up coming due this off-season as they look to get cap compliant. Obviously you're probably looking at a higher-priced veteran or two getting shipped off. Uh, obviously, I think the guy that everyone's going to look at because the team already tried to trade him once is Evgeny Tudonov, who has one year left on his deal with a $5 million tap hit. Uh, that certainly would have helped. I don't think that's getting you all of those RFAs done, and it's certainly been probably getting you a Riley Smith back as well. So then it'll obviously be very interesting to see if there's anyone else that they're going to look at to this summer, because they've shown obviously that they're not sentimental about, you know, trading guys away if they think that that move will make them better in the short and long term. So obviously I'm sure there's probably a lot of guys on the team right now that we're leaving city national arena for probably, you know, the last time for a while, wondering if they're still going to be part of the team when the off season concludes, because that's just, the way this team has kind of set itself up by getting all these kind of high-priced, you know, star caliber players, there is, you know, a consequence to that.
0: You know, it's funny you, you kind of mentioned that the team this the past few summers has has made a, 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 a habit of sending away uh, some popular players. In fact, Kelly McCrimmon mentioned trading away popular players uh, during his presser today. So, do you think it's possible that maybe there's a guy on the roster right now who is a fan favorite who nobody is even thinking of who could end up getting traded this offseason?
1: Oh, I'm sure there's plenty of guys. I mean, obviously, uh, we just talked to Max Pacioretty today. He was in there for exit interviews. He's entering the last year of his contract. And, you know, I certainly think he came out of the locker room in Chicago after the Knights were officially eliminated from playoff contention and basically made a, you know, pretty impassioned post game about how he wanted the team to do its best to kind of run it back and that he felt this group had the ability to get it done if it was given another shot. And, you know, kind of reading between the lines there, I certainly thought that at least was some level of argument for patch ready of like, Hey, look, I know I had an injury plague season, but I want to come back. I want to compete with this team. And I think we can get it done. So, I mean, certainly I think he's got one guy, with his $7 million cap hit for one year remaining, might have been feeling it a little bit. Um, you know, it'll be interesting. Like you mentioned, this team has, you know, shipped out guys that have been popular, guys that we ne- haven't necessarily expected them to ship out at various points in their history. So, obviously, there's other guys that are on the roster that are feeling a little nervous, too. I don't know exactly who it might end up being. I'm sure, obviously, the Knights at this point, don't exactly know what their kind of plan A for the offseason is since it started earlier than they anticipated, and they're only a couple days in. But we just do know one thing, that this team's summers are never boring, and I'm definitely expecting uh, something similar to this one.
2: Ben Ghost with the Las Vegas Review-Journal here, joining us on the VGK Insider Show. Uh, initial reactions to VGK's end-of-season media availability, which was earlier today for Hours or so uh, this morning at City National Arena, and one of the topics that came up to a number of different players was the sentiment around the league of of other players, other teams, other organizations rooting for the Golden Knights to fail. And I thought that it was really interesting because, you know, to me, Shea Theodore had a really interesting take in that uh, the the idea that the Golden Knights won too quickly, right, is is maybe a reason why there are organizations, players, what have you, kind of rooting for the downfall of the Vegas Golden Knights. And I thought Shay's response to that was really telling because for this organization, this team that went to a cup final year one that has played in three of four, three of the last four um, conference finals, so to speak, uh, he was quick to point out that they didn't win anything. They had a lot of success, but ultimately it did not end in a Stanley Cup, so therefore uh, you have not won the ultimate prize in this league. What, what, what were your thoughts or commentary on the different Golden Knights that were asked about that sentiment around the league and, and where they should fall on it? Should you lean into it like William Carlson put out there, or uh, should it should it ruffle you up a little bit like it, like it does Jonathan so and Shea Theodore?
1: Yeah, it was obviously William Carlson's answer, I think, was the most interesting. And Chris is going to have to break it down for me (laughs) later, uh, making the analogy to the Swedish soccer team. He follows that apparently no one likes. Uh, I was not dialed in enough into Swedish soccer to have that reference kind of land with me. But I think I got the sentiment he was going for. Um, And it is interesting because you're right. Like the Knights, even though obviously I think a lot of people around the league are kind of I, you know, maybe jealous is the right word, or envious of the Knights' early success, or just angry that the Knights had some level of success. Obviously, Shea Theodore was quick to kind of point out they haven't had the success that they want, but they've had a lot of success much faster than a lot of other teams in the National Hockey League. So I think other fans, you know, are just getting upset that they've kind of jumped the line, so to speak, and are having, you know, more playoff wins than a lot of these other franchises have had that have waiting around for quite a long time to finally uh, break through. But I do think it'll be interesting to see if, you know, the Knights do end up kind of embracing that black hat, so to speak. Jonathan Marshall was kind of talking about, you know, he was almost just like, you know, sad that other, mm-hmm. you know, teams and fans don't like them. He didn't necessarily think to embrace it as much, but I liked William Carlson's to answer more of like, you know, the soccer analogy of, you know, embrace it, feed off that, use that. It's obviously not necessarily... Kind of the unifying principle that brought the Knights together their first year, where they are all, you know, cast off from other organizations and all motivated to kind of prove themselves wrong. But I do think, you know, if they tr- choose to kind of rally around this, you know, sticking point of like the whole league's against us, no one believes in us anymore now that we've missed the playoffs. I do think whether you believe that's, you know, honest or not, that can be something that guys get behind that they have something to prove next year after the missing the playoffs for the first time in franchise history and have teams like the sharks and the stars openly like celebrating publicly that they played a part in keeping the Knights out of the postseason. I do think it can be a motivating factor to guys can rally behind if they choose to embrace it. And so it was interesting to hear the different responses. Cause I think William Carlson was definitely more all in on that idea. Uh, Jonathan Marsh. So it felt like was still kind of feeling his way through it a little bit and was still trying to figure out you know what how much to embrace it or not
2: so on john of the marches because i I think that your your assessment there is spot on but maybe the most intriguing thing marches said today in his availability was the idea of trusting your hockey instincts within the context of a system right and and to not necessarily be Robotic in what you're supposed to do or what plays you're supposed to make, Uh, creativity bringing about confidence, especially in the offensive zone. Um, How did you take those comments from Marsha So and you know that moment of levity where he just talked about, you know, sometimes I just don't listen to the coaching staff?
1: It was absolutely beautiful, first of all. (laughs) Just you know, not that long after Pizza Board walked out to be like, yeah, sometimes I tune him out, sometimes (laughs) I don't need to listen to what he has to say, but I do think. There was a kernel of truth to that in that something that I think we've obviously been talking about for quite a while with this team, and especially, you know, kind of their recent playoff history is, you know, are they creative enough in the offensive zone when teams are taking away their rush chances? Is this team too easy to defend? And I think Marceau is kind of right to point out, like, look, like we've got a lot of very talented players on this team, but we got a lot of especially forwards that are paid – a lot of money to go play this game. We got to kind of let ourselves cook a little bit more. And I thought that was a very, you know, interesting and perhaps telling comment that maybe the Knights do feel like they need to get that kind of creativity in the offensive zone back in their game. We saw it in spurts this year. We obviously did not see it, I think, consistently enough for the team to have success um, because you have a lot of creative players on this roster. Obviously, Marshall is so creative. Eichel is incredibly creative with the puck on his stick. I mean, he holds it for so long in the offensive zone waiting for stuff to open up. It's crazy. Stevenson is very creative when he gets any kind of space in there. So I do think it'll be interesting to see how much the Knights approach that balance uh, next year because since pizza Boris come in, I think they have become a lot more, you know, systematic for lack of a better word, especially in their own zone. Their, you know, he likes to call attention to detail, their kind of defensive discipline I think has been overall way better, especially when they're healthy. I think that's a big reason why they've made the NHL kind of semifinals Mm. in Pete's first two seasons, but on the other end in terms of kind of the offensive zone, obviously that's kind of the area that's holding the Knights back right now. So I'm curious if they can strike a little bit more of a balance next season where they're disciplined in their own zone and maybe the neutral zone, but are able to get a little bit more free reign and creativity in the offensive zone and maybe take a couple more, Risks thinking that they're either going to score a goal or with a lot of these guys, they're fast enough and disciplined enough defensively, the forwards I'm talking about, to get back and cover because the Knights do have a lot of forwards, even in their top six, that take a lot of pride in being kind of two way forwards.
0: About Max Patch going in the last year of his contract, Pete DeBoer also going into the last year of his contract. I found his comments kind of funny. When when he was asked about it, like, hey, you know what? I'm at the point where after 14 years, I don't worry about those things anymore. But did you get the impression that that maybe it's something he 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 should worry about, or or do you feel like maybe there's not a lot of pressure on him going into the last year, or is it? I I'm not sure how I take it. Like I thought his comments were funny, but I'm not sure how I took it as far as like the the, the stability of the job. What, what was what were your take on that?
1: Yeah, it was really interesting. To the as you mentioned, Pete going into. The last year of his contract, it's very unusual, obviously, for a coach to enter a season on his last year. Almost always you want to either extend him or you want to make a decision and move on. But Pete was basically like, you know, when kind of asked, like, do you need security going into next year? He was basically like, look, like as you said, I'm 14 years in. I'm not kind of worried about that stuff anymore. I'm worried about a team that I can win in the Stanley cup with, and he thinks the Knights are that team. Um, but obviously, you know, even while so Pete said he hopes to be back, uh, general manager Kelly McCrimmon, I don't think really tipped his hand. Either way, he said, obviously, he's going to, you know, meet with Pete this week. He said he's looking forward to that meeting. He said he likes, you know, meeting with his coaches to kind of dissect where things did and did not go right throughout the year. Obviously, had a lot of praise for the job that Pete did, weathering the injury storm this year, and a lot of players kind of echoed similar thoughts, but I'm really not sure uh, where I come down on what's ultimately going to happen out of that. Certainly, I think the fact that Pete spoke today and the fact that, you know, speaking openly about, you know, hey, we're going to meet later this week, and I'm interested to kind of hear what we each have to say, I think could be constituted as a positive sign for Pete DeBoer. But I've been surprised by this team before, and so I've never to probably completely lower my guard down when it comes to uh, this team finding new ways to kind of make our heads turn. So I'm not ultimately sure you know, where I'm falling on that coming out of today. I definitely am still questioning what's going to happen and I wouldn't be 100% I think shocked either way.
2: So along those lines, I'm going to read you a quote from Kelly McCrimmon's uh, opening statement today. I want to make it very clear I'm very disappointed that we didn't make the playoffs. I believe we should have and could have. We lost some games to teams that we shouldn't lose to. So like given that context and and I agree with you, like I don't think any hands were tipped here. Uh, Kelly, you know, said, said, said as much that he wants to have a conversation. He wants to see kind of where maybe there's agreement, where there's disagreement, how you can find a way to get over the proverbial hump with this team. Um, but given, given that context, with that quote, like, does that add more intrigue to this meeting over the course of this week?
1: Oh, I definitely think it does. I mean, it's obvious that the Knights did not finish at all how they wanted. I mean, they the last uh, five non-playoff teams they faced, they went 0-2-3. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and overall, they lost 17 games to uh, non-playoff teams this year. They were 23-13-4. Uh, they were 27-5 against non-playoff teams last season, so that was a huge, huge difference. And obviously the fact that you lose all those uh, points at the end of the season against teams that you're supposed to beat, like New Jersey, San Jose, uh, Vancouver, Chicago, that's going to really uh, sting, I think, for uh, Pete, for Kelly McCrimmon, for a lot of players heading into this offseason because as much as all the adversity they faced throughout the year, 500-man games lost and everything. They still controlled their own destiny uh, with four games left, and they ended up kind of dropping the ball against some teams they should beat. So I think that's going to lead to probably some interesting and difficult conversations about what went wrong in those games. Why did the team, you know, not able to kind of pull itself up by the bootstraps that last little stretch when, you know, especially when Dallas went 0-3 on that road trip in Canada, there was kind of light at the end of the tunnel there was a glimmer of hope that you know could potentially push this team into the postseason and instead they fell farther back. I think it'll be, you know, interesting what discussions come out of that and what the you know knights ultimately feel are the changes that they need to make in order to not have anything like that happen next season. So
2: how do you evaluate the season given the context of what we heard today? Like Is your evaluation maybe off or different than how you feel based on the comments today from Kelly McCrimmon, Pete DeBoer, and all the players? uh, The Golden Knights are evaluating the season.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to what I thought going in, which is just, number one, it is a messy evaluation. It is tough to kind of wrap your arms around everything because I think it was Pete DeBoer who had mentioned, you know, when being asked about the injury, that, like, look, like, they affected... Everything like even when you talk about I think some of the other areas that the Knights came and came up short in besides just kind of their injury luck like uh, the goaltending well that was affected by injuries the both special team unit units you know, finishing in the twenties in the NHL well that was clearly affected by injuries and not having kind of your ideal personnel out for both units and even obviously that kind of late season slide that I just mentioned where the Knights were clearly not playing their best hockey by the end of the year, that was with obviously some compromised guys like Mark Stone, who did not look 100% himself even when he came back and you know has not ruled out potentially having back surgery this offseason to kind of get right again. So it's a really complicated evaluation because of all that. I think obviously hearing from everyone today just kind of reinforced that of like this team obviously dealt with. A lot, both physically and I think mentally, because of everything that was thrown at them this season, they came up short in a lot of areas that we kind of were and were not expecting. In part due to injuries, in part due to underperformance, in part due to just you know tricky circumstances. Um, and ultimately, even when they were kind of able to at least get close to their group at the end of the year, they didn't have enough in the tank to ultimately get the job done and get into the postseason. So I think, obviously, it's disappointing. It's frustrating. I think there are a lot of areas that this team needs to look at in order to improve next season and not have anything like this kind of happen again. But it is, like I said, just messy, because I think Braden McNabb pointed it out today. Like, you never want to use injuries as an excuse, but also there's the reality that they had 500 man games lost uh, this season. I don't think you can just ignore that or push it to the side or anything like that it obviously did have an effect um did it 100% cause this team to not miss the playoffs probably not because like i said they still had their destiny in their own hands toward the end but it obviously played a major role and i'm curious you know based on the moves this team makes this off season whether they attempt to just run it back and hope for better injury luck or whether they make more significant changes, perhaps indicating that they thought there were more things kind of under the hood that they want to tinker with heading into next year.
2: So the last one here and, and to wrap a bow on this, um, some, some tough questions, some tough answers along the goaltending front for both Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon, certainly uh, surrounding Robin Leonard and in the final week of the season, the, the announcement of the surgery, all of that stuff. Um, but, the fact of the matter is for the Golden Knights, you've got Robin Leonard who is going to have surgery tomorrow. You've got Lorraine Brossois who will have surgery also in the off season, And then you've got Logan Thompson and his emergence. What is the future, the immediate future, the long-term-ish future for the Golden Knights in goal?
1: Yeah, I mean, so that's a huge question for this team, right, moving forward. And a lot is going to depend on how these guys come out of the off offseason. Robin Leonard is having surgery Tomorrow, but it's unclear what his timeline will be. So what his timeline is will obviously affect what the Knights are going to need out of potentially uh, Laurent Brossois and Logan Thompson uh, next season. And uh, Bressois too, his timeline isn't exactly clear. So we'll see how he comes out of this summer. The obviously interesting guy is Logan Thompson, who had a very strong finish to the season. I think you obviously couldn't have asked for more from him as kind of a third string rookie goaltender. Than what you got this year in terms of, you know, a strong ten five and three record, nine fourteen save percentage, like those are strong numbers for a guy in his first spin around the league. And now I think you're just curious to see whether he's able to back that up. Obviously, a lot of the you know the teams he was playing were getting a look at him for the first time. I think a lot of teams were kind of thrown off by him because you don't see a lot of right catch goaltenders. Mm-hmm. Throughout the NHL, I mean, I think specifically to that breakaway Rupe Hinz had in the Dallas game, and he clearly kind of looked back after his uh, breakaway attempt and was like, that glove wasn't supposed to be there. Um, And I'm curious to see how he kind of adjusts and adapts once teams get a better scouting report on him. Obviously, Logan Thompson has kind of exceeded any and all scouting reports uh, on him uh, throughout you know, kind of his career so far, Pete DeBoer you know, basically made it sound like, you know, he was playing kind of a rec softball league. Uh, That's what he compared Canadian college hockey to. And now he's worked his way all the way up to the NHL. So it's been a very fascinating story seeing Logan Thompson turn himself into an NHL goaltender. You know, I'm curious whether he kind of shows that he's got staying power next year, that he can be kind of a long-term answer at the position, or is he going to be kind of a, you know, burn bright fade kind of guy. And I think a lot of what, you know, his work will be this off season will kind of determine what path his career ultimately takes. Cause there are some goalies that come up, get hot, and then maybe don't have as much success in their careers after that. But based on the fact that obviously Logan Thompson has already made it much farther than anyone would have expected him to make at this point, I don't see how you can necessarily bet against a guy like that.
2: Well, Ben, uh, once again, you have proven to be the nicest man in uh, Vegas sports media because you took way more time than uh, you probably should have out of your day to come on the program. I, I really appreciate it. What's uh, what's on the docket for you in the off season?
1: Yeah, well, still figuring all that out, right? It's going to be <laughs> crazy. So obviously, uh, the next week or so, we'll have plenty of kind of the fallout from these exit interviews at ReviewJournal.com. And then, at some point, I should probably help my lovely fiance uh, plan our wedding. Which, there you go. Uh, she, will not be, she will not be thrilled that all of a sudden I have free time on my hands to offer my opinion because my opinions are bad. But, you know, I got free time, so now they're, they're coming at her like a freight train. So we'll see how the, the household uh, holds up under that strain moving forward this summer.
2: All right, Ben. Well, enjoy it. Have fun planning that wedding. And, uh, you know, we will chat with you, I'm sure, at some point over the course of the offseason. And then as we gear up for next year with the Vegas Golden Knights. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. That is Ben Ghost with the Las Vegas Review-Journal joining us here on the VGK Insider Show with reaction from the Golden Knights year-end media availability which happened earlier today at city national arena over the course of the next couple of days here on the vgk insider show we are going to bring you as much audio from that day that availability as humanly possible we're putting chris chapman to work not just during the program but away from the program as well we're back with one timers next on fox sports las vegas Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it.
0: He shoots. He scores! It's time for one-timers. One-timers. Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo. Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show. One-timers
2: brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee. <laughs> I was on with, uh, with Bischoff this morning. And he got into game one overreactions from yesterday. So I'm going to go with these for you, Chris Chapman, right off the hop. Okay. Are the Leafs a juggernaut?
0: No. No. I, I will not overreact to one game. Um, <laughs> look, I, I I was very impressed with the way they played yesterday. I was yeah. I was very surprised at mm-hmm. how poorly Tampa played. What I noticed though, Tampa, Tampa found themselves. On their heels a lot. Like, first, we watched the first period, and I was really shocked at how much better the Maple Leafs looked yeah. than the Tampa Bay Lightning. Then in the second period, it seemed like Tampa kind of lost their composure a little bit, and the Leafs were able to take advantage of that. Look, I, like I said, I won't react overreact to one game. I think Tampa will play much better tomorrow. I still think Tampa wins the series, but I'll, I'll be honest. If they come out and they take it to Tampa the way they did last night, I I might have to jump on the bandwagon with you. So, Kyle Clifford has been suspended one game for
2: his hit yesterday on Tampa Bay's Ross Colton. Clifford was given a five in a game yesterday and subsequently suspended. So, it more or less equals a two ish game suspension. Uh, do you agree?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, it was a nasty hit. It was a dirty hit. Came up from behind. Um, yeah, I, I, I have no issue with that. I, I think it's legit. And, uh, you know, we'll see how they respond. I mean, like I said, I think Tampa lost their composure a little bit after that. So, um, you know, if you win the game and you unravel the Lightning, maybe it's a good penalty and it's a good suspension. But I didn't—I wasn't a fan of the hit. I'll be honest; I, I, I didn't like it. Were you a fan of the line brawl? I like that. I like that. That's fun. <laughs> That's the fun stuff, but... <laughs> so, okay, I, like, I got to ask you this I wanna question. I want to see one of those in person, by the way, because sure. I, I want to see, like, the goalie fight and everything in person. Sure. Give me that in person. That's fun. So I got to ask you this question, because going into the
2: series, Sheldon Keith talked about expecting a borderline, quote, borderline violent series. And refs yesterday were calling everything to start that game, right? And, you know, you would think advantage... Tampa, Because we know how good their power play is, except for the fact that Tampa went 0 for 2, including a 5-minute major in the first 12 minutes of the game. The Leafs ate them alive on the penalty kill, and then Toronto did their own damage on the power play. So, was that the best bit of coaching from Sheldon Keefe in the playoffs so far as the Maple Leafs head coach? Because I think... The idea of putting it out there in the media that you're expecting a violent series is more a challenge to the referees to get that under control. Yeah. And they were calling everything. And it was advantage Toronto.
0: I, I, I think so. You know, I think a lot of times we overlook what these coaches say and do in the media. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, it's politicking. And, yeah, if, if you make the refs think about things, I, I, I mean, we've seen it before in other in other sports, in other series, in the playoffs, in the NHL. I, I, I like that kind of stuff, the gamesmanship. I mean, we, we talk about Daryl Sutter all the time being just a master at, at the gamesmanship and saying the things and getting the message out in the media, knowing who is going to digest that. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good good move by him, and we'll see if it pays dividends. It looked like it may have done that last night. Jared Spurgeon cross-checked Blues forward Pavel
2: Buchnevich in the back of the leg yesterday. Uchnevich wasn't hurt. Jared Spurgeon was not suspended, but fined today by the NHL's Department of Player Safety. Do you agree that there there
0: wasn't anything there on that play that was suspension-worthy? Well, it it certainly wasn't a play that was... Because I, I was watching it when it happened, uh-huh. and and I thought to myself, what a what a cheap shot! Like you could break a guy's <laughs> ankle, like like you the guy is on his knee. Yeah, no, it, was, and, it wasn't good. And Spurgeon's behind him and cross check. First of all, I've never seen a guy cross check a guy's ankle, but he did it. Yeah, and, and I I thought you know what maybe it should have been a suspension because I think there's frustration there. Sure. I, I I certainly think there's intent. You know. How how much intent to injure a guy? I mean, I'm not Jared Spurgeon. I'm not in his head, but I mean, it's certainly a play where where a guy can get hurt. So I, I I don't know. The suspension to me, it's the playoffs. I I it's a borderline play. I wouldn't have now if you would have told me he was suspended, I wouldn't have had an issue with it. Sure. I'm not so sure I have an issue with him not being suspended either. It's just a uh, uh, it was just a really strange situation. Like you you don't see that very often. So you don't typically suspend.
2: Or not suspend based on the result of the play, right? Yeah. I feel like if Bucinavich was hurt, he would maybe, have been suspended. maybe we're talking about a suspension here. Uh, more than anything, though, like as somebody that's dealing with a a calf Achilles issue right now, <laughs> that's really annoying and frustrating. Like if there's a contusion or if there's something going on there for Bochnavich he's going to be hampered by it the rest of the se- of the series. So if you're Jared Spurgeon, you got away with one. Right. Like yeah, and I think I think that's what we're going to expect out of these two teams because they do not like each other.
0: Yeah, I mean you, you, you took a penalty in a game that you were already getting crushed and you certainly weren't gonna come back and win the game. And and like you said, if, if Buchnevich is unable to go or he's hampered a little bit by it, and this is a guy who's got a bunch of goals for St. Louis. Um, you know, if he's off his game just a little bit, maybe that's a difference in the series. But mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I, I picked St. Louis to win the series. I did not know how dominant mm-hmm. Craig Berube yep has been against, he's only like lost once in regulation, and they played each other eight times last year. This is like Pete DeBoer against the San Jose Sharks' level of domination.
2: Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> more game one over reactions. This one belongs to the Edmonton Oilers. Which has a better chance of happening? Mike Smith loses the series for the Oilers, or Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl win the series for the Oilers?
0: Oh man. <laughs> I think more than likely the cream rises to the top uh-huh. to quote the macho man Randy Savage, the cream <laughs> rises to the top. Yeah. <laughs> I think McDavid and Dry if they don't rise to the occasion here, uh-huh. now, yep. this year, when? When will they do it? Because what if they can't overcome well, play well, off Mike Smith? But I don't think Mike Smith look, he, he was he was. Mike Smith great lost last...
2: them the game last night, Chapman. Mike Smith lost them the game because all he had to do was not play the puck or play it to either one of the guys that were on the flank uncovered. Instead of going to two players away from a dangerous area that were not covered, Mike Smith went up the ice directly to
0: Alex Iafalo. Directly (laughs) to Alex Iafalo. That is a problem. And and to make matters worse, he makes a, quote, game-saving save Seconds after the mistake, and then he ends up getting beat just a few seconds later. So I, I don't think Mike Smith is going to cost him the series. If they lose in seven games, maybe you say, ah, that game won. But I think if Edmonton comes back and wins the next two, you, you, you probably kind of forget about the Mike Smith gaffe.
2: The Oilers have lost their last seven playoff games. They've either lost in <laughs> overtime... Or they've surrendered the game-winning goal with 12 minutes left in regulation. Oh, oh no. (laughs) And you're sitting here talking about Game (laughs) 7. Yeah, they're not getting there. (laughs) Ridiculous, Chapman. Come on. Like, the Kings had no business winning that game. They should should not have won won that game. Like, they were good in the first (laughs) period. It was all Edmonton in the second period. I think if we've learned anything, like, if I'm going to overreact to that game and that series, it's for the LA Kings to stay out of the penalty box. That's the only way... McDavid and Drysdale were lighting up and carving up the LA Kings last night.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, L. LA. Um, they 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 obviously look. If, even if you lose Game Two, you go back to L. A. Split. I think that's all you could have asked for. I, I, you know, I, I I picked Edmonton. I still am confident that the Oilers will, will win, but a little doubt started to creep in as I was watching that third period last night. Good, <laughs> Mike Smith. I know. You can
2: set your clock to it, buddy. Poor guy. It's amazing. That's your one-timers brought to you by Paul Powell. More lawyers, less fee for today. Wow. May 3rd. Tuesday, May 3rd on the VGK Insider Show. We're back to wrap it up next.
0: When the guy wouldn't stop talking, we had no choice but to give him his own segment. It's time for Catching Up with Chapman. You know, I was going to go someplace else today, but after talking with Ben Goetz today, I decided I would talk a little bit more in depth about the uh, what he was talking about with William Carlson. William Carlson is a fan of Almana in or AIK, as they are more affectionately known in Stockholm. They are the preeminent soccer club in Sweden. Multiple championships, I believe 12 all-time Swedish soccer league champions. Funny thing is, they actually have a hockey team, too, and Matthias Janmark played his hockey when he was playing in Sweden with that club. So um made me made me think, and you can speak to this because I know you are an LA Dodger fan and and I am a fan of one team that that's good across all the teams I root for. But a lot of people hate the Dodgers. Okay. And there's a reason why they hate the Dodgers. Sure. It's because they're good. It's because they go out and they spend money. They they compete for championships, it seems like, every year now. So I'm of the the mindset that I think it's kind of a good thing to be hated by other fan bases, to have other teams rooting against you. I kind of like that us against the world mentality, and I, I, I agree with Carlson on, on that because, like, he's, like he said, if people are rooting against you, nobody's rooting against the Seattle Kraken. Nobody's rooting against the... Maybe, maybe Maple Leaf fans root against the Ottawa Senators, but nobody roots against Ottawa, so- like openly roots against it, because they stink.
2: So my counterpoint is, was anyone rooting against the Golden Knights year one? Like, really?
0: I think there, you know what? I can remember some of the negative reaction on Twitter. Oh, the the, the expansion draft was rigged and no other team had this advantage. Yeah, that's it, not coming around now. Yeah, that? yeah, exactly. You know, I think that was just an excuse that people made to, to have a dislike. You know, the traditionalist. Oh well, well, my team had to suffer through twenty-seven <laughs> losing seasons before they made the playoffs.
2: I I will say this: I think whatever people think of you, lean into it, right? Like I, I I don't care if you like me, and and generally speaking, like this is this is a rule that I've lived my life by over the course of this past season. Like you can say what you want; I it doesn't really bother me. It doesn't impact me one way or another. And I think that if if you can find some motivation in leaning into it, the way that William Carlson talked about today, yeah, then I think it's positive. I think it, it, it's something that that you can really, you know, hone in on. And if you win, even better.
0: Yeah, like I don't know if there's anyone out there who hates me. I'm sure there is. My ex-wife.
2: I just <laughs> embrace it. It's just the way it is. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody.